This Can Do Podcast is brought to you by Blake Albina Thoroughbred Services. Blake Albina is a full-service bloodstock agency and consignment company representing clients at every major horse sale in the country. For more information, call Ron Blake at 859-396-4836 or Hunsley Albina at 859-621-0800. Whether an experienced owner or a newcomer to the game, Blake Albina has the knowledge and experience to help you achieve your goals in the thoroughbred industry. I got the horse right here, the name is Paul Revere, and here's a guy that says if the web is clear, can do, can do. So welcome back to the Can Do Podcast. This is our final podcast of Preakness Week, and we're joined tonight by Chris Larmy of Public Handicapper fame. You may know him better as Derby 1592 in, in respect and in memory of Secretariat's great finishing time in the Kentucky Derby. Chris, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you getting on with us tonight. I'm glad to be here, Bill, and thank you for inviting me to chat. So, you know, Chris, we do want to talk about the Preakness, obviously, but you, you can't do a, a horse racing podcast this week, I think, without talking about the Kentucky Derby. And, and and you and I talked a little bit before we started recording here that, um, you know, the disqualification, it's it's been debated ad nauseum here, and I, I don't think we're going to add anything to the discussion by debating the merits of the disqualification. But, you know, I think we both agree that the event itself raised some significant Issues that I, that, that I think need to be addressed um, or require more discussion. But uh, it, it, it did, I think, raise some significant questions that need to be addressed. And I know you've been thinking about those. Um, and, and I've got some thoughts, but I'd like to hear what you have to say first about uh, some of the implications of this. Well, you know, first, just in terms of the whole, you know, stewards adjudicating races, you know, I think the system definitely needs some, you know, changes made to it. And um, I don't claim to have all the answers i i even i don't have that kind of hubris but um you know i do think it needs to be changed i have some ideas i think i know how they should go about the the industry should go about making changes and so i'd like to talk a little bit about that and maybe sprinkle in some of my ideas but you know to me this is a really complex problem uh lots of stakeholders and you know just the best practice for addressing that kind of thing is is you know one person doesn't have the answer and the way to attack it is to go at it with a team approach so i think you know really do this right you need to get a good team of people together with the different points of view you know key people Mm -hmm. like a steward and a jockey and a horse player and a trainer and an owner and um uh, you know, people who really can work together as a team, you know, you don't want people to think they have all the answers or they think it's their job just to tick everybody off. Um, kind of, uh, in other words, 95% of the people in racing Twitter are probably not eligible for this team. Just kidding. <laughs> you think it's, you think uh, it's that low 95%? You think? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, and then, you know, apply some, you know, basic principles about, systems design and the, and the first thing you need to do is a, decide what is it you're trying to optimize with your system what's your objective mm. um and to me it's really obvious i mean the number one priority by far should be safety it should be the safety of the riders and the horses everything else is far behind that 
you know, I'd probably say the, the number two priority would be sort of the integrity, uh, integrity of the, um, uh, you know, fairness and consistency and transparency. And then there's lots of other things, but I think they're way below. And so, you know, I think you really want to focus on the safety piece for two reasons. One, I think it's the most important thing. But the other one is I think a lot of the other issues go away if you really tackle that one the right way. And then I think you need to have some good design principles like, in this case, simplicity. You know, simpler is better. And, and um, when it comes to complex systems that involve people, it, where most of your errors occur are with the people. Mm-hmm. And when people are most error prone is when they're under stress and under time pressure. So I think from a simplicity standpoint, you want to minimize the amount of time people have to make decisions, you know, under time pressure. Um, so I think you get a team together like that. Um, you know, I'd love to be on a team like that. And I think you could come up, you know, with, if you approach it the right way, you come up with some good ideas, you know, and for me, you'd start with the safety piece mm-hmm. and focus on that. And to do that, what you really have to do is change the behavior and culture of one group of people, and that's the writers. And, you know, I think today we've drifted towards um, where writers um, behave based on the way they get rewarded. And right now, you know, they balance the reward of maybe taking a risk in a race that might put, you know, uh, horses and riders at risk um, uh, against, you know, chances of increasing their their uh, likelihood of winning a race and right now i think they know that if they take a chance they're probably got a better chance of winning that's certain to them um and the likelihood that there'll be some negative consequence like maybe someone getting hurt you know they think that's probably unlikely especially young male riders you know they tend to be risk takers and plus you know the other consequence might be a punishment you know, maybe a fine or a penalty, but um, right now that's really uncertain. I think they feel like, you know, they can get away with a lot, um, and they do. They do. And it's, I agree. It's, in, it's inconsistently applied. And so what you're seeing is I think gradually over time you're seeing more and more of the kind of behaviors that are really unsafe. Um, and so to change that calculus, you have to change the consequences um, and so you have to turn that around so that riders know that any time they exhibit any kind of unsafe behavior, they're going to feel the pain. It has to be every time. It has to be consistent. It has to be impactful. Um, and it has to be escalating so that um, mm. and kind of risk-based so mm. that if they do something seriously dangerous, that should have some heavy fines. And if they have you know, repeat bad behavior, that should escalate the penalties. And it should, um, if you did that and you did it consistently and you did it based on the behavior, it has to be independent of any sort of result or outcome. outcome. Right, right, right. agreed. Should, yep, yep. Just because they did something dangerous and no one got hurt, that should not be dealt with any differently than if they did something dangerous and someone got hurt. Or just because they did something dangerous and it didn't affect the outcome of a race, it should be dealt with just the same way as if it had. I mean, it should be completely independent of the outcome. It should all be based on behavior, and it has to be consistent. Um, and it has to be consistent within a track, but, I mean, ideally you would identify what is unsafe riding behavior, and you'd make that really clear, and you'd have really good video examples of what is and what isn't unsafe behavior, and you develop some really good training 
and you get everyone to adopt the same rules, same and training, yep. Yep. you know, and a rider to get licensed would have to go through the training and pass a test. Any steward to get licensed would have to go through the training and pass a test. And then everyone would know what's unsafe and they would know they're going to get penalized. And ideally you'd have, you know, universal kind of penalties and stuff. I know this is all easier said than done, but if you did that, um, then, you know, right now, instead of the rider saying, you know what, eh, there's a, maybe a chance something could happen, but you know what, I'd rather, you know, I, I want to win the Kentucky Derby or I want to win an Eclipse Award or I want to win this race. And they're getting that pressure from the trainers and the owners and the, the people betting on the races as well. Sure. Um, you know, yep. they're, they're going to take the risks that they shouldn't be taking. And if they get away with it once or they see somebody else do it, then they're going to do that. And it's just going to escalate. And I think we're seeing that. And you've got to turn that around. Well, you, you, know, you raise a, a couple of good points there, Chris. It's, and uh, this one, one of them has bothered me for a long time, the whole looking at the behavior versus the outcome. Because in, in the past, you know, at, at times you've heard the standard applied, well, did that move cost the fouled horse a placing or not? Which always used to kind of drive me crazy. I was like, well, so you're requiring the fouled horse to run on to prove that it cost him something when – you know, the foul could have been so severe that he really had no shot at it. That used to, and, you know, and so that was that was an outcome-based ruling versus a behavior-based ruling. And the other thing that, that, and I've noticed this for a while now too, and I'm sure you have as well, in the Derby, I, I genuinely believe that maximum security spooked, all right? I, I don't believe that Saez was trying to ride out um, War of Will. Now, but, but that's not really the question. The, the issue that I've seen demonstrated repeatedly over the last several years is the riders who are in front they recognize that they're in front they recognize the horse is coming after them and they'll go wide to carry that other horse out a little farther or take a path away and it happens all the time now much more frequently than i think if i looked back five years ago at least in my mind um and i think that's one of the types of things you're talking about is it creates a you know that taken to its extreme creates a, a safety issue right yeah definitely and you would have to make it clear what's you know quote unquote race riding versus unsafe riding um and you know try to, to it's not you can never make it black and white but you try to make it through examples and explanation you know what you can do and what you can't and if they you know cross the line you've got to you've got to penalize them and and pretty soon the riders will learn you know, what they can and can't do. And they'll stop doing these things that are clearly unsafe. Um, but, you know, nine out of 10 times, they're not going to, to cause any harm or any change the outcome of the race. But it's that one in 10 that you can't afford. And so you can't let them get away with that other nine and 10. You have to consistently penalize that to change the behavior. And if you change the behavior, then you change the whole culture and I think you start taking care of – we haven't really talked about DQs at all because this is all right, something right. – what I like about this is you can handle this on the dark days. You don't have to have the stewards under this time pressure trying to decide something you know, in the heat of the moment. They can take their time, look at every angle of it you know, multiple times on the Monday after the week of races, identify all the unsafe behaviors, and then you know, bring the riders in explain to them what they did and why it's, you know, not acceptable and, and, and penalize in a consistent way. In fact, 
a cool thing would be is if they did had like a mandatory weekly meeting where every writer had I was to just sit thinking the same thing a film session right right and they would show every single unsafe behavior they would dole out the penalties and it'll be a, a, a reinforcement a training session every week and pretty soon the writers are going to learn what they can do and what they can't and they're and they're not going to whine every time they get a fine or appeal it in fact you could you could build it in that if you appeal it and you lose your appeal it doubles your fine or, or suspension or whatever so you you know you don't get all this gaming the system so they can ride until it doesn't really matter if they miss a few days kind of thing. So, I mean, it, but you have to be consistent and and you don't want to you don't want to be the the um, catching them you know sneaking up on them. You want them to know ex- you know up front, up front with yeah. the training yep. and just say hey it's like you're you know anything a parenting or you know in a workplace you you make sure they understand the rules and you're going to hold them accountable the following and if they don't then they're going to pay the price. And what's cool about that is then you're going to get rid of 95% of this bad behavior, and you're not going to have to worry about all these races that it might affect the outcome because there will be so far fewer incidents that could affect the outcome that are um, you know, behavior-based. There's still going to be things that happen in a race Sure. Yep. that might affect the outcome, but that's going to be the 1 in 10 rather than the 9 in 10. And you know, my bias would be if you did this right, and, you know, you start having these infrequent things that are really more random than behavior. So a horse spooks. So, you know, yep. I, I bet on horses that have spooked and jumped the inner rail and, they, you know, <laughs> yep. Yep. you lose sure. your bet. Yep. yep. So, you know, how is that any different than a horse spooks and runs into your horse? So you lose your bet. You know, my, I'm what I'm getting at is, you know, I would just eliminate DQs at all. And, you know, if you can get the, the behaviors correct, then – you don't DQ. It's just whoever crosses the line first wins. And, um, you know, it's just bad luck if a horse uh, does something goofy and costs you the race, um, just like a lot of million other ways you can lose a horse race. <laughs> and if you're policing the behavior part mm-hmm. right, um, you, you're then uh, you won't have, you know, these intentional things. And occasionally you might, and then you have to deal with those. But um, to me, then you eliminate completely that those time pressure decisions, the stewards, you know, even if they were re- all really good and consistently trained, not many people are good at making tough decisions under pressure, um, you know, a time pressure under stress. There's just not that many of them. The ones that are could probably make a lot more money doing something other than being a steward. <laughs> That's um, a good point. So yeah. I just think expecting them to be good at that is just not a very good expectation, not realistic. Um, so, you know, that's kind of my two cents worth. Um, uh, uh, in terms of you know this whole uh, adjudicating races, I think you've got to focus on safety, focus on rider behavior, you know, and do it the right way in terms of you know training all the main stakeholders and um, holding them accountable to following the rules, um, and I think pretty much takes care of itself from there. And and I think Chris, going back to one of your earlier points too, it does have to be a team approach with, you know, representatives of a number of, you know, the different, uh, not factions isn't the right word, but, but, you know, um, uh, factions, let's just just factions of the industry, riders, stewards, you know, trainers, um, track officials, et cetera, and, and come up with some type of consensus approach that, you know, in the absence of a national body, let's say, which would, it would have its own problems, you know, at least, there's a agreed upon standard across the country as far as what is and what isn't 
acceptable. Um, what about what about Chris the the Derby itself? I've I've been saying it for years. People and a lot of people ask me about you know like you. I'm sure many people asked you after the Derby. What did you think about that? You know, probably got more questions about horse racing in the last two weeks than you know in the last two years from non fans. But one of the things that I've told people consistently is is it is always a roughly run race. There are twenty horses in there. It's the only race in North America, to my mind, that has 20 horses in it, um, all scrambling for position early. In this case, the fact that the field had 20 in it was not the, you know, the uh, uh, causative uh, incident for the, for the, you know, at the top of the stretch, causative factor for the top of the stretch. But, you know, we've both seen when the gates open in these 20-horse fields, the crashing of the field that comes together is just... You know, I remember one year when I bet on uh, 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 Trapper John, Uncle John. I'm not going to remember his name now. I can't believe it. Um, he won the Travers. Like, Colonel John. Uh, they opened the gate, and he got sandwiched on either side. And, like, wow, race is over for me. Um, it, it, so I, I guess what I'm coming to, they used to limit the field to 14, and now it's 20. Should they be looking at going back to a smaller field to eliminate, you know, take out some of the things that can happen just from adding more horses to the field? Well, um, if, if you follow me on Twitter, one of the things that I suggested, just even if they kept the field size the same, was to create a starting gate with 20 stalls in it <laughs> so that yeah. Yeah. Um, you get rid of that big gap between the stalls because they always end up colliding. The gap is the guaranteed. problem. Yeah. And yep. plus, it's because of that gap gate doesn't really fit in the chute very well so the the horse on the rail has to kind of angle over too so if you if you created this 20 horse gate then you'd have enough room where you could slide it over a little bit so the rail wasn't so bad and you wouldn't have that gap between the auxiliary gate and the main gate so i think just that um would help a little bit especially at the start of the races where like you talk about um you know because i think it's some of it's just the way that gate set up that causes horses to be angling in it's and angling a little out bit. Yeah. into each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think that would help. But, you know, I, I can see a case for reducing the size of field. You know, there, I can see a case against doing that. You know, why, you know, the negatives, there's there's negatives. But to me, it comes down to, again, a, what are your priorities? Now, you know, I think Churchill's priority is to make as much money as they can on the Derby. So I don't ever see them doing this because I think that's their number one priority on everything they do related to racing. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, you're but right. if 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 you were like the racing, if you weren't just CD, but you're saying from a racing standpoint, what's the most important thing? Like I said before, I think it should be safety, right? Um, we don't want people getting hurt. We don't want horses getting hurt. And we certainly don't want to see that happen on the biggest race on the biggest day um, in front of the biggest audience. So, you know, if that really is your priority, then I think you have a hard time arguing against reducing the field size down to what every other race in America is run at, which is 14 horses. So, you know, if you really think safety is number one, you know, which is everyone always says, but we certainly don't always walk yeah. the talk. You know, if you're going to walk the talk in this case, I think it's hard to argue against reducing the field size. But, you know, absent that happening, which I think is highly unlikely given who's making the decision and what their priorities are, um, at least they could spend a little bit of all that money they make on every derby. <laughs> right, right. And, and you know, buy a starting gate with 20 stalls in it. Good grief. I, I agree. 
you'd only use it once a year, but it's the biggest race in the world, you know, <laughs> and you make a, a gazillion dollars every year. And we so know, spend a, we a know they're out there. The 20, we know the 20 gate starting gate is 20 slot starting gate is out there. We, we've seen the pictures, right? They're there. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, yeah. you know, come on Churchill, if you're listening, yes, you know, get a 20 horse gate next year. Um, and I've been saying this for, I don't know, every year, it, it, I bring this up because every year you, if you watch the start of the race on the head on, you see all the horses from the outside just veering in and that 15 and 16, 70 horses just are cutting off the 14 and 13. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. And you know, I'm sure you are. I know you are. I'm old enough to remember too, when they first started adding the auxiliary gate, a bunch of people, including myself were like, wow, the horses who have 15 and 14, they're in great shape because no one's breaking on, you know, on, on their outside. Well, it turns out, especially 14 and 13, they have the worst because everyone comes crashing over on them from that gap. Um, yeah, I'm convinced 14 hole is much worse than the one. If I had a choice, I'd always pick one over the 14. I totally um, agree with you on that. Totally, uh, That's the worst that. starting gate you can get until they get a 20 horse gate. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I'm, I, you know, I'm not holding my breath, but I, I don't see why they wouldn't do that. It's, it doesn't cost that much to buy that gate. Um, Come on. Not not compared to what they're making for sure. No. You know? yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, if you were just a, a just a normal race at a normal track, I get it. But you know, this is the Derby and you know, they make more money on their luxury boxes on Derby Day than it would co- you know uh, the cost to, you know, buy a starting gate that they could use for the next fifty years. Well so. it's the it's the premier race in our country, Chris. And let's face it, this industry is, this sport is at a sensitive time. If if something had happened in that Kentucky Derby this year that had caused you know fatalities of either horses or jockeys um, because of a lack of attention to safety, whether it be policing riders or the starting gate, who knows what we would be talking about today? You know, but it would be it would be a nightmare. So I think the upshot of everything we're talking about is let's just take some common steps common sense steps to look at safety and, and and look safety is something we all ought to be able to agree on that 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 should be easy yeah we do it, it's just all sometimes there's competing priorities that you know from a human behavior standpoint the consequences are immediate and certain which tend to be much more powerful than something that's you know uncertain and future kind of thing and yeah. you know from a safety standpoint every day you know People are taking risks that they shouldn't, um, uh, but that's why you need, you know, regulatory bodies and you need rules so that you know you, you you don't allow people to make those bad choices. You set it up so that you know the calculus is such that they won't make that kind of a decision that they shouldn't make under the circumstances. All right, listen, that's a great discussion, Chris. Let's um, let's hopefully you know we'll continue to discuss this type of thing as an industry and take some positive steps towards addressing these issues but we got a we got a big race now on saturday we got a the 13th race at pimlico with a now 13 horse field um we've got four returnees from the kentucky derby none of the top finishers from the kentucky derby um which normally people would say ah you know no triple crown winner you know what's the interest in the race but you know i look at this and i see a pretty competitive field and i think it's actually a pretty exciting race what do you think yeah, I like it from a betting standpoint. In fact, you know, for me, the Derby is always like a must-play race because right, right, right. 
yeah. you know, everyone I know is asking me who I'm going to win, who I think is going to win. And, you know, there's just an opportunities that you don't have any other time of the year betting on the Derby. So, you know, I'm kind of committed to playing that race, but the, the Preakness to me from a betting standpoint, it's just another race. And typically if you have a strong, you know, Derby winner, especially one that can run, you know, up near the lead, you know, they are usually really strong heading into the Preakness. Um, and the race isn't really worth playing. It's hard to beat those right. kind of horses because the right. good horses all scatter. Yep. Um, you know, and if this year, if maximum security hadn't been DQ'd, he'd be running in this race, and it would probably be like that because you, you wouldn't have horses like, you know, Warriors Charge supplementing $150,000 no. to be in this right. race if maximum security right. was running. Yeah. Um, you know, you'd have a much smaller field, probably a weaker field, and he would look kind of like a standout. A standout, and, absolutely. Yep. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not that I think he's a superstar horse, but he just, you know, those horses coming out of the Derby that can run on the front end just have a cr- tremendously good record in the Preakness um, in the last 20 years. I, I mean, I've always told people that the best bet in the Preakness is the Kentucky Derby winner because guess what? That horse is doing pretty good right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when they when they tend to run on the front end, the ones that you know I I salivate to bet against are the ones who get setups like like Orb. Mm, or mind that bird or Giacomo or these horses that you know uh in fact like country house if he had run I would have been totally against him in the Preakness um so you know but this year we don't have either one of those we don't have the derby winner coming back off a setup because the one who got the setup isn't running and we don't have you know the strong front runner that you know, would would be really tough to beat in here because, you know, they don't want to wheel back because they didn't win the derby. So, you know, what you got is a pretty fun to bet race, I think. You know, so I from a betting standpoint, I think it works out really well. I, I think, think it's a great race. Yeah. Here, yeah. Yeah. That yeah. I think will be gonna be great value, especially if the morning line is, you know, anything close to being I'm with you on correct. that one. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it does look like there's some speed in here, right? Um, you know, it doesn't have the Derby front runner, but it does look like there's some speed in here. Um, you know, Brad Cox seems to have kind of bookended the race, right, between uh, um, his his two, uh, Owendale and uh, Warrior, uh, Warriors Charge, right? And he seems to be trying to win it one way or the other. And my guess is... He's more looking at the Owendale end, but uh, what, what do you think about that one? Those two, I well, guess. Well, I think from a pace standpoint, for a while, I you know, if maximum security had gone in this race, I would say the it's gonna he's probably gonna be able to get the lead and back it up just like he did in the Derby because you wouldn't have had Warriors charge in here. He wouldn't have entered. Um, they wouldn't have put one hundred fifty thousand right. dollars to try to you know wire him. Uh, you might not even have had a horse like, uh, well, you probably still would have had another twist of fate and always mining, but those are two that don't necessarily have to be on the lead, and they probably would have been content just to stock um, sit off. Yep. Yep. and sit off. Um, yep. So I think you would have had like a, a a pace that probably would have favored the front runners, but when maximum security didn't go, all of a sudden you get Warriors Charge, and you know, they're supplementing him at $150,000. And, and I know, I know, 
the ownership or some of the ownership group, Marshall Graham is a friend. And so I'll oh, be okay, sure. cheering yep. with, for him and 10 strike racing. I've got a 10 strike jacket. I'll put it on and cheer on <laughs> Warriors charge. And, you know, and they didn't supplement it thinking they, they weren't going to win, but they also didn't supplement thinking they're going to experiment with taking him off the pace because his right. two last races are much better than anything he's ever ran. And both of those were when they, they put him on the lead. So, you know, you know, they're, it's a it's a dead sin. With they're going to go. And he, yeah. and he yep. drew an inside horse. He's got Javier Castellano, who's an aggressive rider. You know, he's he's going for the lead and the rail. Um, and, you know, he has some upsides, an interesting horse. You know, of the speed horses, he's probably the most interesting. But I think uh, not only will he help cook up the pace, but then you get Wayne Lucas entering a yeah. no-hope market king. <laughs> Exactly. But Market King has some early gas. He has speed, yeah. And Wayne, yeah. Yep. yeah, and Wayne Lucas sends. And yep. Wayne Lucas's last Triple Crown glory was in this race with a long shot going wire to wire in Oxbow. So, again, this horse with John Court, who's an aggressive rider, he's a dead send. Mm-hmm. And then, then you've got the other horses like, you know, Another Twist of Fate, and always mining and probably war of will having drawn the rail and even the express. <laughs> yeah. They're all that they want to be forward replaced. Yep. They're not going to sit off the lead much and they're going to want to get to that lead probably before they hit the far turn. So, you know, I don't see any breather anywhere in this race from start to finish, which I think will favor the horses that come from out of it. Um, and so that's probably where I'm looking to key. I'm probably going to going to pretty much toss all the front runners except for maybe Warriors Charge, thinking that maybe Market King doesn't break and the others are willing to let him, you know, concede him the lead. Mm-hmm. Maybe he will get brave because he's looked really good when he has been able to get the lead. I don't think that's the trip he'll get. I think, you know, the most likely scenario is it's a hot pace and there'll be some middle moves that'll keep it a sustained hot pace all the way around the track and um I'm going to bet the race that way. So if you're if you're looking at the closers then Chris you're really looking at Owendale, Bourbon War and win 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 I think right and Laughing Fox I guess as well right um those would be yeah, Well the... not just the deep closers the stalkers too I okay. mean just any okay. of them that, okay. that will be able to sit off. Okay. Um, okay. So we can kind of run those down. I don't know. Uh, so, you know, you mentioned some, which, which of those do you think are, is the, you know, the most dangerous or the best value? So, um, you know, I'll, I'll just say this about win, 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 and I'll, I'll put all the Derby horses in this category. Um, and this is just a theory I have, but I feel like more often than not, when I see a horse go off form, I go back and I look through the running lines and I see it was on more typically on a muddy or a, good, you know, quote-unquote track as opposed to a sloppy track. But it always seems like, not always, but uh, very many times when I see a horse go off form, I go back and I look, and they had a performance over a a wet track, okay? These four horses coming out of the Derby, coming out of a very rough race over a wet track, back in two weeks, which none of them have really done before, I am tempted myself to just kind of toss the Derby runners, uh, at least out of first and second. Um, even though I liked win, win, win coming into the Derby. Um, 
that's and so that's the way I kind of feel about the Derby runners and and win 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 as a as a closer in general. What what do you what do you think about that? Well, I um I kind of agree that you know the the Derby can be a grueling race, um, and most horses it's probably not optimal for them to come back in two weeks and then and run again in the Preakness. Um, but you know, there are some horses that can handle it better than others. It's mm-hmm. hard to predict what those horses are because you usually don't have anything to go on because trainers never wheel their horses back anymore. So you're just kind of guessing, right? Right. Um, which ones can handle it? Um, uh, you know, win, win, win is kind of interesting, but I think that post doesn't help him any. I know he's going to come from out of it, but still he, he's liable to be three wide on the yeah. first turn. Yep. You know, uh, from that post, just three wide. And I never really like a horse that's three wide and dead last. And <laughs> has to close. Not yeah. Play. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. he could get completely overlooked, and he is the kind that could clunk up for a piece. But, you know, he's certainly not my key to the race. Um, but I wouldn't, you know, someone said, hey, I think he could run, you know, third or fourth, and I'm going to key him in tries or supers as a under key. I wouldn't talk you out of that because I think, you'll get a good price. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. But, I, like, but a horse like Bodie Express, who's going to be forward replaced in a hot pace, you know, I think you could toss him. Uh, War of Will, you know, I, I think he's the biggest underlay of the race. I can't believe all these people who are really liking him yeah. as a, as the play. I, you know, here's a horse who was probably the second choice in the wagering who I thought he had a candy trip until the trouble in mm-hmm. the Derby. Um, and, you know, almost every horse had trouble at that point, including the horses that were trying to close. They all had to steady and go wide. And, you know, the other horses next to him got had to steady and go wide. And a lot of the other horses recovered and finished up pretty well. You know, he recovered and then just kind of flattened out late. Just, so, yeah, yep, out and, of gas. And he had saved ground. And, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you could argue he didn't like the kickback, but he sure had a better trip than a lot of other horses in the race. Um and, you know, his race before that, he had another excuse. But, you know, I, I just don't like second choices that are, you know, you have to make excuses for the last two races. Um, and especially, you know, I don't see the race shape helping him at all, especially drawing the rail. The rail again, have, right? right? Yeah, they have right. to use him some. Yep. And I, I think this is going to be a much hotter pace than they had in the Derby. It started fast, but. Man, they backed that thing up to a crawl in the middle fractions. Um, I, I don't think I've ever seen a derby like that to that point, actually. It starts fast, and then all of a sudden, when they flashed up, what was it, like 111 and 2 after 46? I, I I knew I was – I actually was talking with T.K. Kugler before the race, and I said, we'll know at the six furlong pole if our decisions are right. And I want to say it was like 111 and 2 after going to 46. I was like, well, I'm I'm out, you know. Uh, that that was an oddly run race in that in that way. The strangest pace scenario I've ever seen in the Derby. That was just really weird, really weird. So, you know, I'm really against War of Will, and I think there's a lot of value in tossing him. Uh, and plus just all the notoriety he's gotten over the last few weeks will probably lower his price even more. He no just doubt. looks to me like a, a real sucker horse. So I, I'm anxious to play against him. That's probably the biggest value creator in the field. Yeah, improbable. You know, I'm kind of um, on the fence with him. Uh, certainly, he won't be value with Mike Smith and, and you know, Bob Baffert. But um, I think he's probably the best horse in the race. I think he is vulnerable, though, because 
you could kind of argue he's probably more of a middle distance horse than a classic distance horse. Um, he sort of had a little hang in him in his last three races yeah. this year. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, he, he's been out finished in all three of his starts this year, including the Derby. Um, he's had excuses and you could, you could maybe argue that he doesn't like the sloppy track and that the kickback and he may improve on a fast track, but you know, I'm not ready to toss him out. Cause I, you know, I think he's probably as likely to win as anybody. Um, but I certainly wouldn't key him. And if you're going to use him, you better have another horse that's, you know, giving you lots of value. You know, price. And, yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. you'd be crazy to play an improbable war of will or improbable, you know, always mining or, you know, another twist of fate. Those horses, you're not going to get any value in that. Um, but I, I have a hard time tossing him of the, so of the Derby returners, you know, I, I have to respect him some. I do think Mike Smith will have him closer than he has been. Just that's his style. His style is also to to keep him out in the clear yeah. and make yep. a middle move. Yep. He likes to try to get the when he likes to be on the front. Mm-hmm. But when he's not, he likes to get the first jump on people. Right. So he he'll make a middle move or he'll make an early move, and it's probably going to be into a hot pace. You know, and he's probably going to go a little wide. And so, you know, he might have it. If he does have a little hang in him, you know, I think he can get nailed late, um, which is what I'm going to be hoping for um, with the horses that I do like, which we haven't gotten to yet. But, yeah, let's um, go. Let's, let's, let's hear about who you, who you do like here. Let's. So I think the two clear value plays, if the morning line holds up, are Owendale and Bourbon War. Um, okay. I thought you might. Owendale, you know, just – his last race I thought was as good as any, any three-year-old race I've seen this year. Um, he was awesome. Oh, he was he, very impressive. I just watched that replay again today. Very impressive. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he drew an outside post. He was kind of parked wide early. Um, they, they kind of slowed it down in the middle part of that race, sort of like they did in the Derby and they were getting punched up. So he really didn't have any choice, but to stay parked out wide. Um, and they weren't really you know, backing up, but he just, just inhaled them on the turn. I he mean, did. He just, just blew right by him and he just kept motoring all the way through the wire. So, you know, uh, he can, he can obviously run the turns. He can obviously settle and he can obviously put a move on when the rider asks him. So I don't know what else you would want given the way I think this race should unfold. You know, I, I just see him, Jerome, a fits him well. He's a patient rider. I, like you said, uh, Cox, I think, is definitely going to have Warriors Charge on the front end. I don't think he's a rabbit by any means, but I think that's where they think his best chance of winning yeah. is. Yeah, I think that's fair. To yep. get the lead yep. and to try to open up at some point. Um, that's the way they're going to ride it. And that, if he doesn't, if he can't win that way, it, it will, I think, improve the chances of his, of his stable mate. Um, so, you know, I just, I just like everything about that race. Um, he's had some really good training sessions and, and workouts since then. You know, he had the five-week rest. A little more rested, too, exactly. Real yep. nice spacing. Yep. Um, yep. You know, 10 to 1 just seemed like a gift to me. I, mean, I, I don't know how you could – it's just me, but, you know, how could you bet War of Will over, over um, uh, Owendale? Arrested, you know, Or how could right, you bet right. another twist of fate? Yeah. He just blew his doors. Now you could <laughs> right, you could say yeah, another right. twist of fate had a little bit of trouble. He did get a little traffic, but 
you know, he, he had ground saving trip all the way around and a slow pace and he just got completely outfit. Oh, he got, so, and he got know. completely outfinished. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, and he, he's he going to see a hotter pace Yes, yeah. and he's going to be yeah. wide. He's yeah. going to be stalking the pace in the three or four path from that post. Look so, with, with, with Owendale, uh, anytime I see Cox and Giroux as the combo on a horse, I, I just pay extra attention, right? Cause that's a. That's a, one of the more deadly combinations out there, I think. Uh, Bourbon War is, you know, he was actually the horse I thought I was going to be keying on. Uh, and then, this is just so odd to me, because I believe the pace is going to be hot, like you said, but the blinker's on for a horse who likes to, you know, come from the back. I I, I don't know what to make of that move. Uh, that just really surprised me to see that the horse was going to have blinkers on. Yeah, I don't think it, it's necessarily to put him into the race more. I think it's just to keep him more focused so that he will res- – I mean, sometimes trainers put blinkers on horses so that they rely more on the rider and less on their own instincts. Mm. I don't know if that okay. makes any sense. Mm. So that they will pay more attention to the rider and respond more to what he they want him to do versus, you know, he's just kind of reacting to what he sees. Yep. Um, I'm – you know, I'm guessing that's what they're looking for. Um, and maybe they'll want, the rider will want to put him a little more in the race, but I don't think, you know, he's going to be forwardly placed or anything like that. I just think what they might want to do is try to get him to start his run a little sooner than he has in the past. Um, and this way, maybe he'll respond to the rider saying, hey, let's get going. Okay. A little okay. faster yep. than than, than um, he normally would. Um, so that's, I'm guessing, but, you know, I still can't believe this morning line, and I might be completely wrong because he's not getting a lot of buzz. But Bourbon War was five to two in the Florida Derby. Right, right. That was his last race, right. and until like the last click, he was the favorite. Right, and that was against Honor Scroll, who was the hot horse then. Maximum Security, Code of, Code Honor, of Honor, all those horses were in yeah. the race, and he was the favorite. Right, right. And right. he had a an absolute legitimate excuse. There was no way on earth he was ever going to win the race when, when they went 50 and change no, for the, no. the half. You know, that that was a almost as weird, maybe a weirder race in the Derby, pace-wise. And so here's a horse who was the favorite in the Florida Derby against a better field, you could argue, I think, than he's mm-hmm. facing here. Yep. How could he possibly go off at 12-1? to you know, the only thing I can think of is, you know, setup. Mark Hennig is not as well-known a trainer, and he's had the longer layoff. And, and you're going to have, you know, one of the beauties to be of the Derby and these big races is you have the, uh, I'll just call it the less-informed money, right? Um, and, and they're going to look, look, we both know a lot of times people, you know, a lot of people just look at the last line. So they're going to look and they're going to say, oh, fourth by seven. You know, how can I bet that horse? Well, you know, and I know the pace was, you know, totally against him. And he actually still was making a move at the end of it. Um, but I actually think he's going to be right around that, given that Hennig is a less well-known nationally trainer and the tendency of people to just look at the last race and say, eh, you know. Well, I absolutely hope you're right. I just can't – I I could not fa- – if he goes off at 12-1, to then anybody who doesn't bet him to win is just doesn't understand value because that'll be <laughs> tremendous value. He, he's going to get a setup, I think. You know, I could be wrong, but I think there's a better chance than they're not that he'll get a good setup. He's going to save ground because I read Ortiz. If he's one of the, he's probably I think the best rider on a horse that comes from out of it 
there is. He's, mm-hmm. just, he's yep. great at finding a seam late. He's great at timing the moves, and he values ground. He saves ground, and that's why Chad Brown loves him because Chad Brown absolutely wants all his riders to save ground. And um, you know, and he drew the two hole. You know, he's going to save ground, and he's going to come running late. And you know, maybe he doesn't get there. Maybe there's traffic, but I mean. 12 to 1 is just crazy value on that horse. So to me, you know, it's going to be all about Bourbon War and Owendale. Those are my keys. You know, one of those wins and the other one, if they run one too, you know, I'll need a wheelbarrow after this race. <laughs> um, if, if that morning, I'm still not convinced Bourbon War could possibly go off at those odds. But if you're right, which I hope you are, um, you know, that's just crazy. Just And Mark Hennig, you talk about a trainer who wins with long shots and oh, big yeah. races. No, no, the guy's I got yeah. a phenomenal record yeah. of doing that. Yep. Um, so, or at least running well. Um, and so, you know, to me, those two are, and that's why, you know, I didn't, I haven't really looked, spent that much time looking at this race, but those two just jump out at me like, man, I don't have to handicap for long on this one. This is pretty <laughs> easy. You know, th- these two horses, uh, if those odds hold up, are clearly the ones i'm i'm interested in well one that you mentioned a couple of times chris and and i almost have the opposite problem with this one that i i see with bourbon war i am actually i'm i'm very interested in always mining and my concern about that one is because he has won six in a row his odds are going to be somewhat deflated and he's a he's a maryland horse right and i recognize he's he's got a big class test here Right, um, and it does appear that the pace scenario might be a little bit against him. Although he did rate kindly in his last race, uh, for me, and this is one of the, I'd be interested in how you look at these types of things. I, I have learned over time that when my numbers tell me something, even if the board is telling me something different, um, or the or the pundits are telling me something different, I have to trust what my numbers say. It doesn't mean my numbers are right all the time, uh, but if if you know I've calculated and come out and and this horse looks like he's tops, then then I got to go with it. He's always mine. He's not bred for it. The stay Thursday or a niece, you know, for the classic distances. But um, those times that he has run at Laurel, and in my experience, Laurel has historically been a very slow, deep track. If you account for that, and then you look at those times he's run at Laurel, those are spectacular. Um, and you know, you watch his last race, the Tessio, he was really cantering the whole length of the stretch. I mean, he wasn't even being asked now it was a five horse field of, of dubious quality. Right. But he, he beat them the way he should have beat them. Um, I think this horse has a great deal of class. Um, I think he has a great deal of ability. Um, my fear is he's going to end up being around four or five to one. Um, but uh, you know, I, I I'm with you. I like Bourbon Ware and Owendale too. So I, I, the way I'm going to play this, I'm a trifecta player. Um, I'm going to I'm going to insist that one of Bourbon Ware and Owendale be in the top three, and that always mining be in the top three, and then I'll just play around with the others. Um, uh, but I think you are you are more down on always mining's chances than I am. Well, a couple things. One is. I would definitely ignore the pundits and go with what your opinion says, how you should bet the race. That's the only way to play. Yep. Um, so, yep. you know, absolutely you want to do that, but you also have to, um, 
you have to you know make your decision based on on the value and i do think this horse you know there's nothing hidden about his form <laughs> oh. um he's got all these ones and he's a local horse so he'll get some local money which will you know have some impact on the odds so you know that's a morning line i do think is off i think he's going to go off below 8 to 1 yeah yeah um, i do too yeah. uh so i you know i don't think you're getting any value there but um, you know, I'm not against the horse. He hasn't really done anything wrong. I do think the race flow is not going to favor him. He did sit off a little bit in his last, but you know, he had had nothing to beat really. Yeah, that, that was no, that was a suspect field, absolutely. And, yeah, and, yeah. and he didn't sit off for too long. He got yep. the lead after you know. Yep. I think he maybe sat off for one call, but um, you know, I don't see him sitting off the lead here. You know, they're going to make a move on the backstretch with him. Uh, so, it's, and he's going to be making a movement of a hot pace, I think. So he might be that good, but I'm my, I'm just going to bet this race thinking that there's no justify or American Pharaoh, um, you know, or a horse that can, can run a sustained fast pace and finish in this race. You know, if there is one, there's two possible ones that might fit that bill. One's Warriors charge just because you don't know how good he is yet. He's sort of untested, but he has a lot of upside. And then it's always mining. You know, maybe he is good enough. Maybe he can step up and face that kind of pace pressure and, you know, face some a field with some horses that can finish, you know, finish off a race um, when he's tired late. Um, but and I'm going to play the race that 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 kind of horse isn't in here and i'm gonna that the the closers are this are going to um kind of inhale those horses late you know and if i'm wrong then certainly an always mining or a warrior's charge might be the way to go if you think uh you know they're that good or that maybe the pace won't cook up uh you know those i i warrior's charge maybe i'd be a little more interested in because he'll be you know, twice the odds. He's going to be higher. No, he's definitely going to be higher. Yeah. You know, always yep. mining to me is just like, he, I, you know, I might even throw him in underneath if I'm playing tries and supers as, you know, hanging on for a piece. But, you know, there's just, there's just I, I've got to have some value and there's just nothing that's, you know, there's everything's there. You know, there's nothing hidden in his form. Right, right. You don't have to be and, a detective. I, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, and good there, point. and yeah. there's question marks yep. and there's reasons why, He's going to get overbet. Primarily, he's a local horse, and and you know, he, you know, he's got that win streak going and stuff. So you know, that's the only thing. Just from a value standpoint, I I don't like him, but I'm not saying he couldn't win the race. You know, he's I certainly think he's more likely to run well than like War of Will or another Twist of Fate, or I'm between what are the other front runners? You know, those are probably the yeah. other two front runners that are going to get some take some money you know those three i would take um always mining over those three but again the one i probably want of the speed horses would from a value standpoint would be warriors charge because i know they're going to go the lead with him so to me if there's a hot pace i'd rather have the horse on the lead than the horse pressing the hot pace three wide you know yeah, no, no, and look with the Warriors charges. You know, uh, one thing about these three-year-olds or lightly raced horses is sometimes it's just you know the the trainer just finds the key to the horse all of a sudden, right? And you know, so you can throw out everything that happened before, 
Um, and, you know, this case is a good example, right? His first three races, he, you know, he kind of ran around the track. He didn't disgrace himself. But all of a sudden they put him in, you know, on the engine and, you know, he comes alive. And that you and I both know that happens very frequently with horses. The trainer all of a sudden figures out what the horse wants to do. And now he's a different horse. Right. Um, And and that's what I like about him is it's clear he likes to be on the lead. His connections know that. And so you can kind of it's nice to know what to expect from the horse. I mean, especially in modern racing, you just never know when they're going to grab a horse. You know, a horse that's clearly has his best chance to lead and then they'll just be grabbing him. And you're just wondering, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, this horse is pretty clear. They want to see if he can take this, you know, field from gate to wire. So yeah, can you say you know. can you say Kentucky Oaks by the way? Because that's <laughs> that's what happened in that race, right? I mean, oh, yeah. five or six decided, horses want in the, the lead. Race of the year, they're going to try to take the horse off the pace. That oh. was the horse. Um, uh, I, I'm trying. I know which horse you're thinking about. Yeah, the, the Mike Smith horse, right? It was. Um, uh, I can't remember yeah, the name, yeah, um, yeah, but I yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, but it happens every day on yeah, a regular basis. It does. Um, it does. It, it, it used to be, you know, trainers valued speed riders, you know, if anything, their fault was they would, you know, tend not to rate horses enough, but it's completely flipped. And now it's like, you got to grab every horse and see how, how much you can rate them. And you take away their biggest weapon a lot of times with some of these horses. It's just really strange. Oh, I was watching yeah. a just to that point. I was in a contest a week ago, Friday. Well, last Friday, and there was a race at Belmont where uh, a Rudy Rod horse coming off the layoff won a mile at twelve to one. And his only competition was actually it was a Mark Hennig horse who looked to be speed also. And uh, they opened the gate, and Rudy's horse takes off the lead. The Hennig horse, I'm watching the jockey, he has a stranglehold on the horse. <laughs> I was like, wow, that actually worked out really good for me. You know? <laughs> but, uh, you know, to your point, this is the horse's weapon, and, and you're trying to make him do something else. It was just it was crazy. Um, you know, Because the horses, they get sick of fighting that after a while, and they're like, you know what? You don't want me to run. I'm not going to run today. Yeah, and even if they do finally decide to run, you've taken them out of their game, and and you know they every once in a while it may work, but you know to me the time to do that kind of experimenting is not like in a grade one race. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, once you're in the grade one race, you kind of know, uh, you know what your best chances are, um, and what your horse is most comfortable doing, um, and you might want to stick with that um, in the, those kinds of races. <laughs> Maybe just a suggestion. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, Chris, uh, great discussion about the, you know, the outcome of the, not, not so much the outcome of the Kentucky Derby, but uh, implications of, of what happened there. Um, and great discussion about the Preakness, too. I think you and I are looking at the race the same way. We've got maybe a little different key as far as the speed horse goes, but uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll see you at the window. All right. Yeah, let's hope so. I hope that not everyone's seeing the race the same way because then all the value disappears. That's no good. So, no, that's, <laughs> that's no right. good at all. Um, so let's hope that the, the morning line is close to what will actually happen at post time. And, um, you know, win or lose, I think it'll be a good bet. It'll be good for all of us. Listen, Chris, thanks again. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Uh, appreciate it. Appreciate the support of the podcast. And we'll uh, we'll see how everything comes out, all right? Great. Good luck um, to you and all the listeners on the Preakness. Enjoy the card this weekend. 
some more good racing, and uh, hopefully we'll cash some tickets. Sounds good, Chris. Thanks a lot. All right, take care. Bye bye. Bye bye.